Good morning and welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where I interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast and try to help us all get a little coffee smarter in the process. I am your host, Ryan Wolt. Every week on Coffee Smarter, I ask coffee experts coffee questions. Coffee experts like Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting in Pacific Beach, San Diego, have been joining us on the show for three full seasons. And if you've already been listening, you know that Chris was my first coffee sensei, and I want to assure you, he always will be. And by assure you, I mean assure him, because ever since I started inviting other experts onto the show, he has been so, so nice to me in a way that makes me concerned for him. Today, unlike most Coffee Smarter episodes, I don't really ask him a question. I just point Chris in the direction of coffee regions. We end up talking more about why we associate flavor traits with regions and flavor characteristics in general. I love that coffee can be the driver for such a meandering conversation. Before we get to the show today, I'm going to ask for your help. This is the third season of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, and we're trying to continue growing the coffee community. So if you know a friend who loves coffee or is into entrepreneurship or just likes listening to podcasts, please share the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast with them. Send them to the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. Share this show on whichever social media you find the least evil, and then go have a cup of delicious coffee at your local coffee roaster. You've earned it. Assuming you're not about to take a guided horseback ride to a remote fly fishing spot in northern Montana, looking at you, Greg, take a second while listening to the show to follow at Coffee Cycle Roasting and at Roast West Coast on Instagram. As always, you'll find the links in this show's notes. This morning I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and I hope you have a full mug too, because it is time to get coffee smarter on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Chris, welcome back to the Roast West Coast podcast, where we talk about coffee. We try to get coffee smarter. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I don't have like a lot of specific questions today, but I wanted to ask you about your favorite region of coffee and why coffee from that region is unique or important to you or special to you and kind of what goes into that. I know that for myself, I gravitate towards uh, Sumatran coffees. Um, in general. And so if I like go into a, a new coffee shop, I'm, I, that's what I'll pick out if they have one just randomly. And I'm not sure why that is. I'm sure it has something to do with, you know, how things are grown and elevation. And we've talked a lot about different uh, growing and farming production uh, processes. But I'm wondering about you. You have a lot more experience engaging with the coffee community and the world of coffee. What is your favorite region of coffee and why? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me back on. I am always so happy to do these things with, you know, every guest that you have on this show is is so interesting and the host is all right too. So I just uh, really appreciate being a part of it. You've been so nice to me this year. Are you sick? I tried to say something snarky last episode. I, I remember it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think I was casting aspersions on your ability to steam milk well. I feel like the snark versus compliment level has like has started to sh change over time and in a good way for me, but it makes me concerned about your welfare. I have less episodes. It's actually the same amount of compliments. It's just, I had to concentrate. Oh, you had to concentrate episodes. them into, so, <laughs> so I cut you out of the show a couple of times 
and all of a sudden you're nice to me. I see how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it makes sense to me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a great question. Um, it's obviously less specific, but it lets me just talk about some of the different regions and things that I love about them and just kind of about evaluating coffee in general. When I do coffee tastings with people, you always want to taste more than one coffee at a time to help you compare them and pull out different traits and characteristics from each. People get really intimidated at that because they'll hear someone say that, oh, this coffee has delicate hints of elderflower and night blooming jasmine, while this one over here has a sort of rounded acidity that reminds me of, you know, and it's like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you think it tastes like the color yellow or if it tastes like, you know, a walk down to the the block to your neighbor's house when you were a kid. I mean, it really just doesn't, doesn't matter if it tastes like fall, if it tastes like looking up into the night sky. Like, it doesn't matter what you describe it tasting like. There's only two things that matter when you taste coffees. Did you like it? And what's your favorite? Now, all those other things are ways to communicate with other people and ways to sort of share the experience that's happening in your mouth and, you know, nose and all that with the person that you're talking to. But I do have favorites and I need to like and appreciate everything because I'm in the industry, but I do have favorites. And there's sort of two things that I've read that I want to, I want to share as far as my thoughts on this goes. And one of them was something I read a very long time ago. I was trying to get coffee smarter myself. And in the past I've bemoaned some of the lack of centralized authoritative coffee knowledge, or at least centralized and well-organized. And so there's a website called Sweet Maria's and Sweet Maria's is a green coffee importer um, that really focuses a lot on helping small home roasters get started, whether it's a popcorn maker or a $3,000, you know, uh, fancy electric roaster with a digital readout. And they sell small amounts of green coffee. They sell large amounts of green coffee. And I don't know if they still have it on their website, but they had coffee library and it was all these articles on there that were terribly organized i'm sure i mean they were organized in some way which i give huge credit to whoever tried to make that undertaking but from my perspective it was very hard to dig through it but i remember i read this one thing on there at some point that said no matter what you think you like no matter what you think that you gravitate toward you said you think you're a sumatra drinker and and you are and that's great you know, I, I love Ethiopian coffee and African coffees in general. I love naturally processed um, coffees a lot. But no matter what you think you like, you can always, always taste something and be totally blown away, surprised and confounded by what you're tasting because it might be something totally different than what you think you like. So I might taste a washed Colombian coffee and think it tastes like a Sumatra pulp natural or not pulp natural wet hold. I might, I'm, that I might have that experience and I need to be open to having that experience. I need to be open to the thought that I might drink a 
pulp natural Sumatra and think that it's a naturally processed Ethiopia. Even though I consider those two coffees, the uh, the wet hold Sumatra and the naturally processed Ethiopia, I consider them to be almost polar opposites in terms of the flavor profile they generally present. I need to be open to this thought that either one of them can totally surprise me by presenting characteristics that I would generally associate with the other. And so despite having a favorite region slash processing method, you know, I might even have a favorite variety somewhere out there. Um, genetic variety, meaning um, I'm always trying to be open to the thought that something can totally come along and defy my expectations and surprise me in, in a good or a bad way. And the other thing that I wanted to share was something that I read more recently that I both agree and disagree with, um, but it's a really good thinking point and talking point, which is, you know, I'm really glad you said Sumatra in, in your example, because Sumatra coffee is generally characterized as being earthy and savory. And what I read the other day was someone who was a, who was a green coffee buyer, someone who buys green coffee for either a, a a U.S.-based importer or for a coffee roaster. Um, and I think this person had, had performed it in, in both both roles. But they were buying green coffee. They were evaluating coffee and deciding which green coffees they wanted to buy. And they said, how can I, how can I evaluate a Sumatra on different criteria than I evaluate a Colombia or a Costa Rica or a Guatemala or an Ethiopia or a Kenya? How can I have different qualifying criteria for deciding what is good just because it says the word Sumatra on there? And those two things, the two things that I just talked about, having my expectations defied and evaluating something differently because of where it's from, they're related, but they're not quite the same. Because I think that it's so wonderful that you know that you like Sumatras that gives you something to look for and go toward. You know, if I have nothing else to balance my decision, I will probably choose the natural Ethiopia. If I'm, if I'm given a, a list of options, um, depending on my mood that day, sometimes I get a little bit of a mood. Um, but I don't evaluate a Sumatra based on what I like out of natural Ethiopians. But I have to still be open to the fact that it might taste in some ways like what I like out of a natural Ethiopia. But I like the idea that I can provide a coffee for you because you know that you like Sumatras. And so can I find the best Sumatra? Can I find the coffee that's earthy and savory that still qualifies to me as good? And so then taking those two things together, it makes me realize that what I'm evaluating as good is less about the nuances of the taste and more about some broader characteristics of taste. Clarity, how, how distinct are the flavors and sweetness. And then a lot of the rest of it can be a little bit subjective to me. It, I'm going to interrupt just, I want to say that to ask or to clarify, because it might change based on what you're about to say. It kind of sounds like you're saying that forgetting about the geographic location and leaning more towards, say, tasting notes or flavor profiles is a more valuable asset to deciding what you like, but you don't add tasting notes 
or flavor profiles to your own coffees, which I know. Mm-hmm. So how do you pair those two things? It sounds, I, I'm guessing you're going to say, and you just correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing you're going to say you want people to make their own decision without being influenced by the flavor profile or the tasting notes. But then that only leaves the information they have, generally the location or the processing type, to make a decision on whether or not they want to give it a chance. Right. And so I think that there are different philosophies about it. There's, there's the philosophy that says, I want to have a representative from each region or from each, you know, sort of classic cup profile. Okay. If I accept Sumatra as a thing that I like, well, then I'll have something that exemplifies that well. And then the other that says, well, this is what's good coffee and anything that falls outside that isn't good enough for me. And so I think I subscribe more to the first philosophy, but try to be open to the second is I think what I'm sort of getting at because it's not, I didn't bring up those two things to say that I I blindly follow them. I mean, I, I think I follow the first one as much as I can, which is to be open to having my expectations defied. But the second one, I don't think I hold with as much because sometimes I like an earthy Sumatra and Usually if I get an earthy taste in a washed Columbia or in a natural or washed Ethiopia, I'm, I'm not excited about it. I don't want it, but I've never had a washed Ethiopia that tasted like sweet molasses, rich clay and sweet pipe tobacco, but I've definitely had a lot of Sumatras that tasted that way. So if I had an Ethiopia that tasted exactly like that, I mean, Sure, it could be good. I just, I think it's easy to confuse some aspects that can be good for some coffees as either just good or bad on their own, right? Like earthy is not good or bad on its own. A a dirty taste in coffee is very similar to an earthy taste, but I don't think they're the same. And they're definitely similar, like earth and dirt. Like those are just they're synonyms. They're literally synonyms. <laughs> <laughs> but I love a really good Sumatra. I love it. And it's the polar opposite of what I choose as my, like, like you know, go-to coffee. Sure. Which I don't think we've mentioned, but I think when you're saying it's the opposite, you're you're talking about a fruitier, kind of bigger, juicier mouthfeel. Right. I like more acidity in my coffee. I like a creamy mouthfeel, sometimes, uh, sometimes a, a juicy one. You know, it's like, I like, I like coffees that have that brighter acidity and that, that fruit characteristic and as their number one characteristic. And I think that Sumatras can have some really great fruit to them. I, I have a Papua New Guinea at my store right now, which is an island right next to Sumatra, basically. I have a Papua New Guinea that tastes to me like a washed Ethiopia coffee. It's, it's literally right next to Sumatra, and yet it tastes like washed Ethiopia. It tastes, it tastes like mango. Mm-hmm. It tastes like a clean, crisp mango with butterscotch. It does not taste earthy. It does not taste savory. It does not taste like molasses. Um, it doesn't taste like any of those things. And the classic comparison for Sumatra is Sulawesi, is the island immediately next to it. And they do a totally different processing style on the island of Sulawesi. They don't do the wet hold processing. They do mostly wash process. 
well, I've had washed Sumatras that still tasted kind of Sumatra. They had that bell pepper, earthy molasses. It was a little bit cleaner, um, a little bit less intense on those aspects, um, but it was still there. And then I've had a Sulawesi that was much more green apple and a little bit of milk chocolate. And those two are pretty different. The Sulawesi tasted more like maybe a classic washed Columbia. This Papua New Guinea tastes like a washed Ethiopia. The washed Sumatra tasted still like a natural or a, a wet hold Sumatra. I think all of this is going towards kind of a very simple idea, which is don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Right. Like just because it's from a certain place doesn't mean it's going to taste a certain way. And just because you think that you like a certain style doesn't mean you won't like a different style. And I think it is easy to get locked into this is what I like and this is what I stick with because I know I like it and I don't take any chances. And my philosophy is, yes, I do do that, especially for like my at home coffees if I'm buying a bag to come home. But then I make a point to try the new things when I'm when I'm out and about, you know, just to mix it up and to see see what uh, what I'm feeling that day. And and I've also noticed that it's one. There's a lot of sub subjectivity, but that changes over time. There was a time where I loved IPAs, for example, and as a beer, and sure. now I I lean back towards lagers, which I may have liked, you know, when I was younger because they're a little bit sweeter. And it's just my flavors have t changed over time. And I don't mean to talk too much about beer and not coffee, but like. The, some of these words are, are interchangeable in different industries, juicy and, and crisp and mouthfeel. Those are all things that we that we talk about in different beverages. And I think what you're ultimately getting at is there's a lot of factors that go into every different coffee. There's a million different coffee farms or origin sites. And ultimately, you would like to travel to these places with me for Netflix, if Netflix is listening, and we're going to try all of these coffees. Yes. All right. I'm glad <laughs> we figured that out. But, but am I wrong in saying that I think the ultimate lesson here is don't judge a book by its cover? No, that's, that's absolutely the lesson. It's absolutely the take home. And, you know, the reason it's so important to me and that I'm so passionate about it, because anytime you see me again on one of these long rants, chances are that I'm just like really worked up about something in a, in a good way. I, I like getting worked up like this. But I think you have a big risk as a provider of coffee going too far down the opposite end of that rabbit hole, right? To say that, that I'm going to evaluate all coffees based on the same criteria of what is good. I think that that has a huge pitfall to it because why we're here isn't because we need to find some sort of ideal perfect cup. Why we're here is because of the people that buy the coffee and make the industry. And at risk of saying too many nice things about you, once again, you know, you are the victory, Ryan, you are the crappy coffee drinker that became the good coffee drinker and became so involved in that, that you're now hosting this podcast and doing these things. Well, there are roasters that don't like that. The two coffees that we both picked are coffees that there are lots of roasters that won't roast them because they never hit their quality standards. They never, like the uh, fermenty tastes in a natural Ethiopia, which sometimes gets a little little funk to it, a little little fermenty. They never appreciate the earthy tones in a Sumatra because it's too dirty. It's not doesn't have enough clarity. And then you miss out on somebody like you who can go from being a crappy coffee drinker to being a good coffee drinker who's an advocate for our cause. And 
you know, natural Ethiopias to me are some of the best ways to get non-coffee drinkers into drinking coffee because they don't taste like coffee. They taste like juice. And everybody likes juice. We all drink <laughs> juice. Who doesn't like juice? Like, you might not like a specific kind of juice, but everybody likes juice. So get a juicy coffee, you know? I, I just, I hate this idea that you're gatekeeping or shutting people out by holding yourself to some crazy standard of what coffee should be. When instead you should be thinking about what people can I get to join me? You know, and maybe you want them to join you on those standards, but you're not going to get them to join you if you don't crack the door open a little bit. Well, I would say then if you if you do listen to the show and you've listened to three seasons or you've listened to it for the very first time on this episode, maybe when you go, when you decide you're ready to make a transition or you want to try a craft coffee versus, say, your regular Dunkin' or whatever it is, uh, which a lot of people love, uh, and, and that's awesome, great, you're drinking coffee, all for it. But when you do, maybe instead of going in and getting overwhelmed by either tasting notes or you know, regions or any of that stuff that we might use as our starting point, having had some coffee experience now, go in and say, hey, I like orange juice. I like eating pastries that are drier. I like scones. Give them, give your barista, assuming they're a decent barista, some sort of example that can lead them and let them pick the coffee for you, maybe, especially if you're just starting out. I know like when I started, it was just a happy accident that I just was so unintelligent about coffee in general that I just said, Hey, what do I do here? <laughs> I, I leave, I leave my coffee drinking future in your hands. And if I don't like this cup, I will never drink another cup of coffee because I can be obsessive compulsive like that. <laughs> and luckily that, that didn't happen. And I'm here talking with you today, but if you are listening and you are a new drinker, we're saying, don't judge a book by its cover, go in, tell them what you do like, and your barista uh, can help you. They can guide you. I mean, just like a bartender who listens uh, after a long day, baristas are kind of like guides taking you on a journey through all of these different regions and all of these different places. At least that's, I think, the hope and the goal. Yeah, they should be. Why being a barista or a coffee person can be a calling uh, in addition to being a job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I need a cup of coffee. And you have just been so wonderful this season, last season, the first season, uh, without your support and without our conversations in the past. I'm sure I've said this before, but this show kind of exists because you and I were talking about coffee when we had free time um, because nobody was coming to either of our businesses at the time. <laughs> and I thought I kept thinking, man, we should, you know, I think other people would be interested in this. And so far, at least eight people are. And I'm just thrilled to death that they're all listening to the show. Thanks, mom. <laughs> your mom too probably not. I, love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was gonna say mom. we should introduce him <laughs> I was thinking, yeah your mom's great hi laurie <laughs> yeah she's she's definitely listening to the show chris it's great to see you i can't wait to have a coffee with you again soon and uh and thanks for being on the show always a treat and uh looking forward to that next cup to share with you ryan thank you so much again To recap, the lessons I took from today's conversation are twofold. First, coffee, even coffee we drink regularly, can surprise us with its flavors. We take our biases with us when we drink coffee. Those biases are the baselines for taste. They at least influence our tastes. 
But we can't forget that there is both an art to the roasting of coffee and that coffee is an organic product. It's constantly changing. The House Guatemala roast that Chris bags at Coffee Cycle today may not be exactly the same as the one he bags a month from now, after those green beans have aged longer. Consistency is a great goal, but as a drinker, let yourself enjoy the surprise. Second, trust your baristas. Ask them questions. Let them know what flavors you like in coffee and outside of coffee. They are your spirit guides on your daily quest for an enjoyable cup of coffee. And this isn't a lesson, but it does need to be said, and I'm specifically directing this towards one presumed listener of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Hey Netflix, you out there? Travel show idea. Chris and I travel to all the great coffee regions of the world, tasting coffees and getting coffee smarter together. It's a guaranteed winner, as long as Chris doesn't need to cut his hair and I can keep my beard, because that's where we get all of our supernatural coffee powers from. That's it for today's show. We've got great episodes coming up with Jeff and Maritza Taylor of Bird Rock Coffee Roasters, Alden Hazuri of Roast Industry Partner, Café La Terre, talks more about his Crossings coffee roasting efforts, and Ruben Enriquez, who runs one of my favorite new roasteries, Origin Coffee, joins the show. Also head to roastwestcoast.com to find links to our other show partners, like Maria Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, their hummingbird blend is always a favorite in this house, and Steady State Roasting. Moster Coffee just celebrated their 7th anniversary. You can check out at Moster Coffee on Instagram to see the photos. And finally, I'm going to shout out Cape Horn Coffee, Coffee Cycle, First Light Whiskey, and Camp Coffee Company for being such great resources to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Thanks again to Chris for being here not just today, but anytime I have a random question, he answers my texts. I'm sure he'll be back soon. This will make more sense to you in a minute, but... I want you to know that Ben Affleck has only played a few superheroes on screen, basically Daredevil and Batman Bruce Wayne. He was never Superman, but he did play George Reeves, who was the actor who played Superman on TV in the 1950s. Finally today, if you want these shows sent right to your email along with articles about coffee, photos and videos and vocabulary, make sure to sign up for the newsletter. And if you're enjoying all of these things, consider signing up for a subscription You can do all of that at roastwestcoast.com. Thank you for being so cool and listening to these podcasts instead of watching Ben Affleck in the underrated film The Accountant with Anna Kendrick. You should do that too, but I appreciate that you're not doing it right now. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey, Chris. It's like Superman. <laughs> it's super, Superman 3, like the Ben Affleck Superman, or Superman... <laughs> You know, I was sort of going for like a roundabout office space reference. Wait, was Ben Affleck Superman? I mean, if he wasn't, he probably should be. I feel like he's been every... Ben Affleck's been like every superhero, right? He's been Batman, uh, Daredevil. I feel like he's been everything. I haven't seen any of them, but I'm sure that he was in them. He was best when he was blind because I felt like I had a chance. That was Daredevil, yeah. I I do remember that. (laughs)